A Heavy Weight is intended for mature audiences. This series discusses topics that may be triggering to some listeners, such as suicide and drug use. Some names in this series have been changed to protect identities. Views expressed by guests on this series are their own and may not reflect my own. Resources and source materials can be found on our website, aheavyweight.com. Thank you so much for listening. We're going in to the final few episodes of A Heavy Weight. The goal of this series is to have Joseph's case reopened, because we believe it deserves another look. I'm hopeful law enforcement will share details of Joseph's case with his family, so they can finally have answers to their questions. They deserve to know what happened to him. Listening, sharing, and leaving a review of our podcast helps spread awareness about Joseph's case and brings us one step closer to having it reinvestigated. Thank you to each and every one of you who have taken the time to listen to this series. This is Episode 9 of A Heavy Weight, a series reinvestigating the disappearance of Joseph Smedley. If you haven't yet listened to the first eight episodes, stop here and start at the beginning. We spent the last two episodes hearing from two forensic experts, Dr. Wolf and Dr. Zafaris, who helped break down some of the details in Joseph's case. We went over all of the many unanswered questions that remain and what could help bring clarity. A lot of the information needed is likely with IUPD or BPD. If the Bloomington Police Department would release Joseph's case files or the crime scene and autopsy photos, Joseph's family could finally carry out their own investigation. But BPD hasn't been willing to share these details. I wanted to tell Joseph's story without too many diversions because there are a lot in this case. But now that you've heard most of Joseph's story and heard from his friends and family, as well as outside experts, I think it's time to dive into some of the murkier aspects in this case. There are a lot of indecipherable details, but a few really stand out. We've talked about them throughout this series, and the one I want to revisit first is the note found by Joseph's roommates. As you've come to know, the letter found by Joseph's roommates was almost identical to the text sent to Vivian the night Joseph disappeared. His roommates told detectives they thought the note was a joke, and that's why they didn't report it until law enforcement arrived at their door. From what I've been able to piece together, the note was found on Monday, the day after Joseph was last seen, 
and it was dated Monday, September 28, 2015. We've already gone over the questions raised by the date on the note. If Joseph left on Sunday night, why date the note for the next day? It doesn't make sense. After the note was found, it was taken into evidence by IUPD. Back in 2015, in the days after Joseph vanished, a photo of the note circulated through social media and Joseph's friends. I want to share a reenactment of a conversation with one of Joseph's roommates from Friday, October 2nd, the day Joseph's body was recovered. Okay, um, I just wanted to reiterate to you that I actually was not the one that released a photo of, um, of the note. Um, I have a photo of the note on my um, phone, but, but the pictures don't match up. There's a glare on the photo that was released, and the background is different. I think it got released was actually by the police. Um, there was a number one on the bottom right corner, which means that it was marked for evidence, but um, I just wanted to reiterate to you that I would not do that, and I did not. Um, also, was Joseph right-handed? Was Joseph left-handed? Do you know? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, because that note was written by someone who was left-handed. Uh, because the way the font or the lettering goes, I'm guessing that's, that's just my guess. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, have you been contacted by anyone? Um, like, I mean, like, authority-wise? Like, on new information or anything? Because I haven't been contacted at all since, like, Thursday or, uh, yesterday, sorry. They, uh, obtained the search warrant for my house, and they searched my entire house and found nothing else. Um, but they did come back and grab a few articles of clothing of his. Um, and they said that it was for the canine unit. And then when, when my roommate asked, um, what it was for, like, he was like, oh, you know, like, are you going to check the last ping location, like, sixth and whatever? And he was like, uh, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Like, the less you know, the better. So that makes me think that they're really not, they're keeping something from both you guys and myself. Like, they know something that's going on that we don't know. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. Um, because they wouldn't say, like, the less you know, the better if they didn't know something um, at all, you know. This conversation took place prior to Joseph's body being discovered. Joseph's roommate asked if Joseph was left or right-handed because he suspected the note was written by someone left-handed. Joseph was not left-handed. The roommate goes on to say that IUPD detectives took some of Joseph's clothes for a canine search to be carried out. And when Joseph's other roommate asked if the search was going to be near the 7th and Walnut Ping location, law enforcement allegedly responded with, Sure, let's go with that. The less you know, the better. I find this conversation interesting for a few reasons. First, why is Joseph's roommate concerned with finding out whether or not Joseph was right or left-handed? It's an odd question, and I don't totally know what to make of it. Then there's this alleged interaction with IUPD detectives. If this interaction really happened, it raises even more red flags for me. 
I don't have any way to verify the details of this conversation, but it made me wonder what the motivation would be for law enforcement to say, the less you know, the better. And if law enforcement didn't actually say that, what reason would someone have to make up that story and report it back to Joseph's sister? I found myself coming back to this conversation again and again because of something I encountered later on in my investigation. Let's go back to Episode 7 for just a minute. That's where we first heard from aquatic death investigator Dr. Zafaris. In 2015, she helped the Smedley family come up with a list of questions to ask law enforcement. And I read several of the questions raised during that episode, including this question, number 29. If Joseph was last seen by his roommates around 11.30 p.m., and after that he was last seen by his fraternity brothers downtown Bloomington, how is it possible for him to send a message to his sister around 4 a.m. from the downtown area and travel to the area along Old State Highway 37, which is where cell phone records indicate his last location? and yet the scent-tracking dogs could not find his path. Answer. Unclear. We were not aware that anyone saw him downtown. No canine search was done by BPD. On Friday, October 2nd, a local Indianapolis news team, WTHR, published a short article about Joseph's case. It read, Bloomington Police Captain Joe Qualters confirmed the victim was an unidentified male. Monroe County Coroner Nicole Meyer says foul play is not suspected. As of Friday night, there was no evidence that the body found was Smedley. Detectives were able to track his cell phone to an area near Old State Highway 37, just north of Bloomington. That highway runs just north of Griffey Lake, though the body was recovered closer to the south end of the lake, off of North Headley Road. Investigators say scent tracking dogs turned up no sign that Smedley was in the area where his cell signal was located. Smedley reportedly told his sister he was leaving the country, but police say he doesn't have a passport, and there's no evidence he's booked any tickets to travel out of the area. An autopsy has been scheduled for Saturday morning on the body found in the lake. An identity is not expected to be released until after the autopsy is complete. The article was updated once it became public knowledge that the body recovered was in fact Joseph's. The update read, Monroe County Coroner Nicole Meyer confirmed on Saturday that the body found at Griffey Lake was missing IU student Joseph William Smedley II. The cause of death is consistent with drowning. We know Joseph's shared house was searched Wednesday or Thursday prior to his body being found on Friday. And according to his roommates, clothing was taken to carry out a canine search. Local news then reported on Friday, allegedly directly from law enforcement sources, that investigators say scent-tracking dogs turned up no sign that Smedley was in the area 
where his cell signal was located. This is important, because what it means is that a canine search was carried out and it couldn't trace Joseph to the area where his cell phone pinged. This reinforces the idea that if Joseph was with his phone that night, he had to have been driven around. Keep in mind that law enforcement has never accounted for how Joseph got from place to place the night he vanished. If his cell phone pinged at the opposite end of the lake from where his body was found, could that suggest foul play? And when Joseph's family asked that very question, the only answer they received was this. Unclear. We were not aware that anyone saw him downtown. No canine search was done by BPD. If no one saw him downtown, is it possible that just his phone was there and not him? From what we know, Joseph's phone wasn't found on his body. It was found in the area near his body, and it was only located after the dive team did another sweep of the area. Doesn't that seem a little strange? Joseph had a backpack with some of his belongings in it, binoculars around his neck, his wallet in his pocket, and yet his phone wasn't with him. How can we explain this? And on top of that, why the strange answer from BPD of no canine search was done by BPD? We have to assume that if BPD didn't carry out the canine search, then IUPD must have. So why wasn't this made clear to the family? Wouldn't an easier answer have been, IUPD carried out a canine search? Why wasn't that information included in BPD's response to question 29? This is just one small piece of Joseph's case, and it illustrates how hard it was, and still is, for Joseph's family to have any real clarity. And the confusion didn't stop there. In addition to the strange call asking whether or not Joseph was right or left-handed, shortly after Joseph's death, Sigpi brothers told Vivian they were going to start a foundation in honor of her brother. The following is a recorded reenactment of a conversation between Vivian and one of Joseph's fraternity brothers two days after Joseph's body was found. I did want to talk to you about something. Um, we're actually going to start a foundation um, in Joseph's, Joseph's name and memory. Um, details that of that now, but um, I will contact you about that soon. Like a scholarship foundation, um, and you know, remembering him in the right way. Another Sig Pi brother posted this on Facebook. I decided I am going to start a mental health awareness foundation in honor of our brother Joe. I asked Vivian what she remembered about this idea of a foundation in her brother's name, because it never came to fruition. I wanted to know if any of Joseph's fraternity brothers had followed up with her in the years since, with any attempt to honor her brother's memory. Yeah, pretty much after. I know, like, now is lawyered up, and the, none of them have 
reached out to me at all. None of them sound like, none of them have been wanting to, you know, help me in any way. The only thing they wanted to do was like raise money for some bracelets to help, but that was it. And then like, I think there was some kind of, um, like get grant that the, um, fraternity was going to give me at one point, but it was only if I like agreed that he, uh, like committed suicide or something like that. Like it was really strange. So I didn't take it. Um, but it was almost like I'd have to agree to a certain situation in order for him to, in order for me to receive the grant for his investigation. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Why would the fraternity make this alleged grant conditional? If they wanted to help Vivian continue Joseph's investigation, they could have just done that. This is something that has stayed with Vivian years later. How could it not? I asked her if the fraternity had given her a contract or anything to sign to receive their help. No, it was just like a verbal offer. I think, I can't remember who it was um, at the time. I just vaguely remember like them sending me something. Um, and then IU just sent like a, certificate type of thing, and that was really it. This is another area of Joseph's case that's hard for me to understand, and here's why. Greek life at IU is powerful. And if Sigpai had wanted to do something for Joseph, they could have. Nick Smith was a Sigpai brother who died by suicide in 2017. Following Nick's death, his Sigpai brothers held a vigil for him and created an event called Stop the Silence, aimed at fundraising for and raising awareness around mental health. Sigpai brothers hosted a gathering at their fraternity house for all those close to Nick and for his family. Stop the Silence became a biannual event. In 2019, the event raised $20,000 which was donated to the university's counseling and psychological services. Nothing even close to this was ever done in honor or memory of Joseph. In fact, Vivian only recalls one fraternity brother attending Joseph's memorial service. And it's not that Nick's memory isn't deserving of being honored and remembered year after year. But why isn't Joseph's? I ended the last episode with this passage from one of my interviews with Vivian. Because he was missing for five days before they even found his body. And then once they found his body, like, it took a month and a half for them to, you know, talk about the way that he died. So within all that time frame, like, yeah, where was the conversation? Where was the, you know, alertness or the, you know, questions? Like, if... If it was a girl or someone who was in a sorority and that happened, like everyone would be on campus trying to figure out what happened to her. All of this is to say that Joseph's case was, and still is, treated differently than those of other missing IU students. Why? Why has it never received the attention it deserves? Do you feel that after Joseph's body was found, 
that he was that his story was given any type of press coverage by IU or local publications or anything like that? Not really. Um, when he went missing, a lot of local Indianapolis um, picked it up. Like I don't know why I didn't think about going to the news. I think I was just still like like partially expecting him to turn up. Like I I to, to myself didn't believe he was missing. I just thought he was somewhere that he was temporarily you know, out of sight. So, like, um, the news started calling me in Indianapolis. I did a couple stories there. And then, um, like, Indiana Daily Student, they at one point reached out to me um, while he was missing. Um, And then once his body was found, uh, it didn't really seem like there was much news coverage. um, And what was just really frustrating is, like once they released the autopsy, it immediately was like, this is, is a suicide. So I think that just kind of silenced everything because they were like, oh, it's just a suicide. And it was me who had to be like, no, it's not. I mean, it wasn't as anywhere near as big as some of the other students have disappeared, like Lauren Spear. I mean, her anniversary just came up like two days ago and they're still reporting on her. Not that she doesn't re- deserve it, but it just shows that like, you know, there's a big difference. Joseph's case was closed in December of 2015, shortly after his death was ruled a suicide by drowning. News coverage of his case was minimal to begin with and really dropped off once his case was closed. We can't fully understand the ways in which Joseph's case was treated differently without looking at it in a bigger context. And to do that, we have to go back to 2015 and delve into what information was being released at the time. And the hard answer is that there wasn't a lot. I've linked to some of the news stories I'll be referencing on our website, aheavyweight.com. You'll find them in our source materials section if you'd like to reference them. Let's first look at the initial media coverage Joseph's case had. His case was mainly covered by a handful of local news sources, including a university publication written by IU students and a few larger news sources out of Indianapolis. I'll go over one to give you an idea of what type of coverage Joseph's case was given. This account was published by an Indianapolis news station, WTHR, on September 30, 2015. It read as follows. Indiana University police are investigating the disappearance of a student. Joseph William Smedley II was reported missing on Monday, September 28, 2015, after telling his sister he was leaving the country. He has not been seen or heard from since. Vivian Brown says her brother does not have a passport and left a note behind asking loved ones not to try to contact him. But his family believes someone else wrote the note. All of his clothes are still in his room. All his shoes are still there. His hat, his jacket, everything. His laptop, his phone charger, his tablet... All of that is still in his apartment, Brown said. 
Smedley is an African American male, 20 years old, 5 foot 7, 145 pounds, brown hair and eyes. His family has been out searching in the Bloomington area all day. Smedley's friends and classmates have taken the effort to social media, using the hashtag #FindJosephSmedley to try to spread the word of his disappearance. Call IU Police if you know Smedley's whereabouts. Joseph's case never garnered national media coverage, and while there have been a few more stories about his case in the past few years. That's due to Vivian's constant persistence and pursuit of truth in her brother's case. I want to juxtapose Joseph's case with that of two other missing IU students, Lauren Spear and Hannah Wilson. Both cases received national media coverage, with reports from CBS News, ABC News, People Magazine, and more. I don't want to discount what happened in Hannah and Lauren's cases, because they are both tragic stories. They deserved media coverage, but so did Joseph. Why wasn't his story important? Joseph's family, Vivian in particular, have worked endlessly to keep his story alive. The toll Joseph's disappearance and death has taken on them is immense. I want to share something that Joe Senior shared with me about the moment he knew something had happened to his son, and everything that has happened since then. But it, you know, again, we hadn't been in contact, and so this real dark mood, and I couldn't figure out. I I even called a couple buddies of mine and said, "Hey, you know." So um, the next thing I know, I think the very next day. I got the word that he'd gone missing. So uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe he went to hang out with the buddy or something. And of course, you know the rest of the story. One of the things, Stacy, that that um, you know, I think if, you know, Vivian might have been sometimes a little uh, disappointed with me, but. Um, as a dad, you know you can only go through so much of this stuff. You know, I mean, um, you know, I still got Giselle to raise. I still have to work. Still have to raise a family. I still have to function. You know, and after going through. Three, four months of, of digging and digging and not getting anywhere, and you know, um, you know, I'm grieving at the same time, you know, and guilty as hell because I didn't in all those years, even though I thought Joseph felt negatively, you know, I didn't reach out more, you know, I didn't try to connect with him at Bloomington. You know, uh, I didn't look in on you. You know, see how he was doing. You know, I mean, you can imagine what I'm dealing with. Uh, you know, and so at some, and there, so there were times when I just said, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. 
Joseph's family deserve answers. They deserve transparency from law enforcement. They deserve to know what happened to him. After Joseph's case was closed, both Vivian and Joe Sr. attempted to collect his belongings. Remember, there was never a criminal case opened, so there wouldn't have been a need to hold evidence. I've tried to get his possessions a couple of different times. The first time I came in there, they said they wouldn't release it to me because I'm not the next of kin. So then um, I reached out to my mom and she gave me her power of, of attorney. I brought her power of attorney back with me to try to get his items. And they said um, that my dad would also have to be present in order for that to happen. I'm like, how does that make sense if I've got the power of attorney and I'm acting in the place of my mother who is also the next of kin that I can't retrieve his items? So that was the last time that I attempted to get anything from them. And am I correct in that they have BPD has never released any of their case notes or case files to you at any time? No. No. And have they ever returned any of Joseph's personal belongings or anything? No. And no. Well, that's the other thing I've been, you know, they had, you know, they, they, they offered for me to come and get like his clothes and some things, but they would not, they refused to give his, his cell phone, which had something like 2000 text messages and they refused that. And I think, uh, I think there was a laptop somewhere. I don't know whether they had that or not. But no, they, they didn't. They refused to let go of that stuff. It's been six years since his investigation was closed. What reason would BPD have for holding onto Joseph's cell phone, laptop, and personal belongings? What reason would they have for not allowing a second autopsy to be completed? Does BPD even still have Joseph's laptop and cell phone in evidence? And why won't anyone from IUPD or BPD speak publicly about Joseph's case? That's next time on A Heavy Weight. Like, I feel like... Okay, maybe you don't want the family to receive it for whatever reason, but when my forensic pathologist reached out to them directly and said, hey, listen, we're trying to, you know, conclude this autopsy. I need these documents. And their response is, no, it's against our policy. It doesn't make sense to me that a police department can, you know, be involved in making a decision for um, someone's cause of death and then not providing any type of um, explanation, backup um, to that ruling, and then also not wanting to um, help with, help the family continue to investigate on their own. So I just know that there's someone up there that has either heard a variation of the story or there's some sort of rumor going around of what they think happened, which their rumor could end up being the truth of like what actually happened. Produced and hosted by me, 
Stacey Berdovsky. Edited and engineered by Joseph Caldwell. Additional editing, music, and sound design by Mike Berdovsky.